Good morning. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be continuing in our series uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to be in verses 12 through 16 this morning. If you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, Luke 5, uh, 12 through 16 can be found on page 861. And while you're turning there, if you're able, uh, please stand with me as we read God's word together. It says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of all their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is God's word. You may be seated as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and your grace in our lives. As we look at the account in which Jesus cleanses this leper, we see so many parallels in how you have cleansed our hearts of sin, of corruption, of wickedness. Father, we, we pray that this passage would be a picture of the gospel, that we would see clearly your grace and your mercy in our lives. Father, we pray if there's anyone in here who has yet to understand these truths, we pray that you would open their eyes to see the glory of Christ, that they might repent of sin and trust in Christ, who is their only hope of salvation. Father, we recognize that we are needy people, that we struggle to obey your word, and yet we know that you are our helper that you help us in our weakness. And so we pray that as we look at this passage this morning, as we seek not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well, that you would help us, that you would give us strength, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would show us areas in our hearts and our lives where we, where we are not trusting you fully, and that you would increase our faith and our trust in you so that we might walk how you have called us to live, Father, we desire to glorify you in all things. That is the purpose for which we have been saved. That is the purpose that we exist as this local church. And so we pray that that would be accomplished as we continue on a weekly basis to sit under the teaching of your word, to come to you worshiping in song, as we seek to have conversations with one another, to encourage and build up and edify one another, uh, as, as we gather together on, on Sunday morning, throughout the week, in our community groups, whatever it may be, we desire for you to receive the glory. We desire for others to understand and see your glory. And so we pray that you would work that in our hearts and our lives this morning. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so before we begin to, to work our way through the passage this morning, I think that we need to 
kind of talk about a few things uh, so that we can have a better understanding of the significance of what's taking place in the passage this morning in Luke 5. And so I just want to paint a quick picture of what life was like for the leprous person. We see in the passage that this leprous man came to Jesus to be cleansed, and Jesus cleanses him. And so what was life like for that man? And, and one, of the, one of the ways that we, we can have a better understanding of uh, what life was like for them is to look at Leviticus chapter 13, because there's actually laws in Scripture. There's, there's entire passages in Scripture devoted to leprosy. And so uh, it's not going to be up on the slide. I would actually encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. If you're using the, the Bible under the seat in front of you, you can find it on page 90. But I just want to read through. We're not going to read through the whole chapter, but I want to read through a few sections uh, just to kind of give us a picture of what this was like. So I'll give you a moment to turn there, and then we'll read. Uh, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll read a couple verses, skip, skip a little bit, read a couple verses, and so on. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall be pronounced unclean. If you skip down just a little bit, verse 12 will pick up. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if this leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has all turned white, and he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. And then finally, if you'll skip down to verse 45. We'll read 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so this was the reality for the leprous person. This was the reality for this man in this passage. They became defiled. They became unclean. They became an outcast in their community. And more than just a physical illness, there was shame involved in leprosy. The leper was forced to live outside the city, and they were actually at risk of, of even being stoned for entering back into the city in some cases. People would take off running if a leper came near them for fear of becoming contaminated by the disease. To come in contact with a leper was to become unclean yourself. And so this was kind of the worst of the worst of diseases to come in contact with during Jesus's earthly ministry. And we can hardly imagine the, the humiliation, the isolation of a leper's life. He was 
ostracized from society because it was thought at that time that, that leprosy was this highly contagious disease. And, and what we know of it now is that it, it's not, it is contagious, but it's not actually that contagious. It requires you come in contact with the leprous person very often and in very close contact. Uh, but that's what they thought at the time. And, 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 and on top of that, whenever a leper came in range of the normal population, they had to wear, like it says in Leviticus 13, torn clothes. And they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people knew to avoid them so that they did not become unclean themselves. And as we think about that, I just want you to think about what life would have been like for you if you had been living this way as a leprous person. Think about the, the sense of worthlessness and despair you would experience on a daily basis. And by Jesus' time, there had been these additional laws that had been put in place by the religious leaders so that even if a leper stuck their head into the home of someone, the entire house was to be pronounced unclean, and they had to go through these rigorous rituals in order to cleanse the house once again. At that time, these additional laws made it even illegal to greet a leper, and they had to remain a certain distance away from people, depending on whether they were upwind or downwind of the person. And we even have records of Jewish historians, not, not from Scripture, uh, but, but even Jewish historians at the time of Jesus, as they're writing and describing uh, the way that lepers were treated, many of these historians uh, describe them as dead men walking. And, they, and then they describe that they were actually treated as such, as dead men walking by the society. And if that's not bad enough, it was also thought that those who had leprosy had contracted the disease because of some great personal sin in their life. And we know that physical disease is not necessarily the result of personal sin. There's not a one-to-one -one correlation in every single case, but the leper was treated as the worst of the worst, both physically because of the disease, but also spiritually as well, because many thought that there was a connection there. And so this is what we are dealing with as we read the passage this morning. And Luke makes it very clear in verse 12 that this particular leper was full of leprosy. He was at the height of the disease. The, the disease had completely infiltrated his body. He most likely looked deformed. He probably had fingers or limbs missing. His skin was rotting. And even as I say that, something interesting to note, something I discovered as I was doing research on leprosy, is that it wasn't actually primarily a rotting infection, as many people thought. I thought it's mostly a skin disease where your body begins to break down. Uh, but, but the outward deformities and the rotting of the skin were not actually directly caused by the disease itself, but instead... It was caused because uh, the, the real issue was that the leper, uh, their warning system of pain was no longer working. And so the, the disease, it would actually bring numbness to the body, make them feel, not be able to feel pain in their body. And, and so things like reaching into a fire uh, to grab a, a potato that got dropped into the fire or, or washing their face with scalding water and not realizing it or, or walking barefoot and stepping on sharp objects without realizing it because they did not feel any pain. Those were the acts that led to the repulsive appearance, to the loss of limbs, to the infections that took place. Because when we get a sore, if I, if I got a sore on my body, 
uh, and, and I didn't care for it, it might become infected and, and painful. And that would cause me to prioritize caring for that wound because it's now painful and it's infected and, it, and I can feel the, 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 the response of that uh, on my body and I seek to care for it, to take care of it so that it becomes better. But, but for the leper, they, they, they feel no need to care for their bodies because their body has stopped responding with pain. Even something like working out in the sun all day with no feeling could cause severe sunburn for the leper. And because of the lack of feeling, they have no clue that they, that they need to get out of the sun in order to take care of their burns. And so think of this man. He's full of leprosy after years of living with this disease. Think of what life might have been like for him. And then one day he hears that Jesus is inside the city. And he hears about all the things that Jesus has done for others. And so he breaks every single rule in the book in order to go into the city to find Jesus so that he can ask to be cleansed. And so as Jesus is teaching in the crowds, here comes this man walking up to him. And no one can touch him without becoming unclean themselves and being cut off from the community because to touch a leper was effectively to become a leper. And so as this man, as he approaches the crowd where Jesus is teaching and as, he, as he's shouting the words to the crowd, unclean, unclean, and people begin to fall back for fear of becoming contaminated by this man, and he finally makes his way to where Christ is, and he falls on his face before Christ. And in faith, he proclaims, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So I just want you to picture that. And I want you also to, to consider What's interesting about what the leper actually says to Jesus, it shows that he probably understood that there was something a little bit deeper than simply his physical condition. Because if all he was worried about was his physical health, he might have said to, to Jesus, Lord, if you, if you are willing, you can heal me of this disease. But instead he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And because as I was reading the passage this, this week, I thought that was a really interesting uh, uh, phrase and, and very interesting word choice by the leper. And so I actually looked at the other accounts uh, in the other Gospels of this, uh, of this event, and they all say the same thing. They all, they all use that exact same phrase. And so I think we need to stop for a second and ponder the significance of that. Because as the leper fell flat on his face before Christ and he begs Christ to make him clean, it shows that he was fully aware of his condition. And he knew that only Christ could make things right. In faith, he understood that not only could Christ heal him, but he also understood that Christ could offer him so much more than just the physical healing. And so as we look at this event it's important to see that this man displayed a central requirement for coming to Jesus, for coming to Christ. He had an awareness of his true condition. The leper knew that he was unclean. He knew he was hopeless. He knew that there was absolutely nothing that he could do to help himself. He, was, he, he, he even understood there was nothing within him that was commendable to God. And because of that, he was in a perfect position to receive Christ's grace. 
And we, as we think about that, we have to understand that truth if we're ever going to understand the gospel rightly. If, we're, if we are to come to Christ, this is the way that we must come. Because Christ's cleansing touch doesn't come in response to some casual, irreverent acknowledgement that, that Jesus might provide some sort of benefit to us. It comes as we fall on our face before him, realizing that he is our only hope. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And this is a big problem in our culture today. Every direction that we turn, we're faced with people who think that they have within themselves some form of goodness. And if only Jesus would help them out, maybe, maybe just a little bit, uh, then they could present themselves before God and be accepted. And this is one of the biggest lies in our culture that prevents people from approaching Christ in the same way that this leper uh, approached Christ. We believe that for the most part, we're good people. And if that was the case for the leper, he would have never seen his need to approach Christ like he did in Luke 5. Instead, he might have come to Christ and said, hey, I've been doing my best to keep my wounds clean. I've been eating healthy. I've been trying to stay out of places that, that would cause the disease to become worse. I've done most of the hard work. And now all I need from you is a little bit of extra help to fix the problem. But here's the thing. God does not come to the self-sufficient. He does not come to those who think they have no true need or imagine that they can make it on their own. What do we see in Scripture? He comes to the poor in spirit, those who mourn their condition. If anyone is going to come to Christ, this is the way that they must come. They must come saying, I am unclean. There is nothing I can do, and only Jesus can cleanse me. And this is what's so sad about so many people living in darkness in the culture around us. They cannot accept that they are unacceptable. This is why the gospel is so offensive to so many, because the gospel tells people that there is nothing in them that is acceptable to God. They are totally and utterly unclean before a holy God, and only Christ can fix their problem. But we live in a culture that's all about acceptance. In our culture, it's actually morally wrong to pronounce any lifestyle, any choice, any action as unacceptable and unclean before a holy God. And this, is, this way of thinking is it's completely opposed to what we see in Scripture. The Bible calls people to live holy lives, while the world calls people to embrace the desires of their hearts. Our culture says that if you want to live a certain lifestyle, if you feel like you were born with certain desires, then it would actually be wrong for you to not accept those desires and live in light of them. And yet we see in the Bible, the Bible tells us that because we are born in sin, we were born with corrupt desires. And so, yes, you may be born with certain desires, but that does not mean that we are to live in light of those desires. We were born with unrighteous motives, with wicked hearts. And because of that, what we begin to do is we, we begin to call what is unclean, clean. That's what we see in our culture all around us. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge lie that we find in our culture. 
And as we think of that, there, there's another lie that we see in the culture. Um, and I don't think um, it's as prevalent in this culture, but we definitely see it. And, and I would say we see it uh, even more prevalently in, in shame-based cultures. Uh, but we, we do see it in our culture as well. And the lie is this, that we are, rec- we are willing to recognize that we are messed up people, that we are sinners. But then we tell ourselves that we are so wicked and so bad that we are absolutely beyond help. And the leper, he could have recognized that he had no ability to help himself, and then he could have lost all hope and given up. He could have said to himself, not even Jesus can help me. I hear that he's in the city teaching, but not even Jesus is able to help me. I am beyond help. And so on one hand, the first lie is that we, we think that we're generally good and we don't need much help. And the second lie is to believe the opposite that we are so bad that we are beyond help. And so one, one lie elevates the ability of man, that we're generally good people, and the other deflates the ability of Christ, that not even Christ is able to help. And I think there, there are people uh, who struggle with this second lie as well. They're willing to recognize that they are messed up and in need of God's grace, but at the same time, God's grace is not sufficient to help them. But as we look at the passage this morning— The leper, he knew his condition. And on top of that, he knew the hope that could only be found in Christ. And so he falls on his face before Christ. And again and again, he begs Christ to make him clean. And as we think about that, as we we picture that in our minds, what what does Jesus do? If you you look back at the passage, Luke 5, 12, and 13, we see Jesus' response. And so while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So there's a little bit of a plot twist here. And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to spend a little bit of extra time talking through leprosy. Because I think in that, uh, we understand the significance. What does Jesus do here? He actually reaches out and touches the leper. And this is significant. Because we all know that Jesus could have told the beggar or told the leper to be clean. We see many other places in the Gospels where Jesus simply spoke and people were healed. We even see places where Jesus was not even in the same presence as the person to whom he healed. If you just flip over one page in your Bible to Luke chapter 7, we we, we find an example of this. And so Luke 7, 1 through 10, it says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, 
come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So Jesus, he, he's on his way to the house. The centurion sends people out to Jesus and say, I understand your authority. He's displaying his faith in who Christ truly is. He says, you don't need to come. Not worthy for you to come any closer. Just say the word and my servant is healed. And so Jesus is, doesn't even make it into the presence of this sick servant. And this man is healed. And so we, we see Jesus could have easily made the leper in, in Luke 5 clean without ever touching him. And yet he reaches down and he touches him. And I, as I read those words this week and was thinking about it, I was trying to just picture in my mind what this would have looked like uh, if I had been there. I, I want you to just picture what the crowds around Jesus would have been thinking or saying to themselves as, as Jesus extends his hand out to touch this man. There might have been people shouting to Jesus, get away, he's going to defile you. There, there, there would have been people questioning to themselves, what is he doing? This man is unclean. And as Jesus touched the man, the crowds, they would have been shocked. The disciples would have been shocked because in their minds, Jesus had now become unclean. But here's the amazing thing about the holiness of Christ. And we've been talking about this as we've worked our way through the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to pay attention here because Jesus possesses a holiness that is not defiled by touching the unclean, but instead he is able to make the unclean clean. And so as Jesus reached out and laid his hand on this man, instead of Jesus being made unclean by the leper, the leper was made clean by Jesus. No one else could have done that. The disciples couldn't have done that. We could not have done that. If it had been anyone else but Jesus, they would have immediately been cast out of the city along with the leprous man. Jesus is the only one who is able to make the unclean clean. And as we think about uh, the cleansing of the leper, this is such a wonderful picture of our spiritual condition before God. We have a Savior who cleanses the unclean. And if we stop and pay attention to the passage, this leper becomes a physical illustration of our spiritual lives apart from the cleansing work of Christ. Sin has invaded our entire being. Just like this leprous man, sin runs from the bottom of our feet to the top of our heads. Just like leprosy had invaded his entire body, we, we see within this, this account an example of our hearts and how sin has in, invaded our entire being. We are, apart from Christ, entirely and completely unclean. And this is the state in which we were born, and this is the state in which we naturally live apart from Christ. Spiritually, without Christ, we are dead long before we enter the grave. Apart from Christ, we are indeed dead men walking. One of my favorite passages that gives a picture of these realities um, is, is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And it's a very popular passage. You're welcome to turn there in your Bible, page 976 in the Pew Bible. Uh, but I, I just love the picture that, that Paul gives of our, our, our spiritual condition apart from Christ 
and then the way that God's grace has invaded our lives. Um, I'm only going to read verses 1 through 4, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then we move into verse 4, where it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this is the beauty of of the gospel, that while we were dead in sin, while we were defiled and unclean, Christ made us alive with him, and he cleansed us of our sin. And as we understand this truth, it forces us to look at the world around us with spiritual eyes and recognize that we live in a world in which people are walking around spiritually dead and defiled, and the only hope that they have is Christ. Christian, will you cast them aside as contaminated and defiled, or will you lead them to the one who can cleanse them from all unrighteousness. As we consider that, I think it's important to recognize something here because I think as Christians, it's easy for us to be more like the crowd in Luke 5 and less like Jesus. We go to work where our coworkers may be swearing all the time, making dirty jokes, talking about gross sin. And we think to ourselves, I must stay as far away from these people as possible. I must show my disapproval of them by having nothing to do with them. And in effect, we become like the crowds that followed Jesus, running the other direction for fear of becoming contaminated by the sin of others. And I just want to stop there real quick and, and, and say that there is wisdom in that in a lot of cases. The Bible calls us to flee if we're feeling temp tempted, to flee temptation, if we're, it, 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 we want to avoid the appearance of evil. Uh, and so I'm not saying that if a friend invites you to go clubbing with them on a Friday night, that for the sake of engaging with an unbeliever, that we just, okay, I'm going to go to the club with you and we're going to have a good time. That's not what I'm saying. But I think one thing that we often miss is that Jesus didn't avoid interacting with sinful people. While he never condoned their sinful behavior, and he often called them to go and sin no more, he ate with sinners and tax collectors. He reached out and he touched the unclean. Again and again, Jesus interacted with those who needed the hope that only he could provide. But I think in the, in the church today, we have this idea that because we are no longer of this world, that we should separate ourselves entirely from the world. And, and if you've been a Christian or around Christian circles for any amount of time, you've probably heard that phrase before. We are in the world, but not of the world. I think it's a pretty popular phrase. I asked a couple people this week if, if they've heard the phrase before, and, and most of them said they have. So I think it's a pretty popular phrase. Um, and... and it's not necessarily a bad phrase, but I, I, I kind of have a little bit of a problem 
with that phrase sometimes. Because when, when you look at John chapter 17, and that's where people get the phrase from, it comes from John chapter 17, Jesus with his high priestly prayer. Um, and, uh, and if you actually look into the passage, into John chapter 17, uh, that phrase is actually flipped in the passage. And so what it sounds like to me a lot of times when people use the phrase in the world but not of the world is that we happen to be living in the world as if, as if that's a bad thing and we just have to endure until Christ returns. And so while we wait for Christ to come and finally take us away from this filthy place, we should do our best to not be of the world. And so when you phrase it that way, in the world but not of the world, that's, that's sometimes kind of what it sounds like people are saying. And I'm not saying everybody has this perspective, but I think it's a, uh, there's a lot of it out there. And, and there might even be people in this room here this morning who kind of think that way. But I want to actually look at John chapter 17 together. And I want you to see that it's actually the opposite when you read the passage. We're not... We are not of this world, praise God for that, but we are called to be in the world. And so you on your own time can read the whole chapter by yourself, but I'm just going to read a couple verses. So please, if you want, turn with me to John chapter 17, page 903 in the, in the church Bibles. John 17, we're going to be reading 6 through 8 and then 13 through 19. It says, I have manifested your name to the people. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the, out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And then skip down a little bit to verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Do you see what Jesus is saying here in this passage? Because Christians are in Christ, and Christ is not of this world, then all believers are not of this world. Amen, and praise God for that. Our citizenship is in heaven. However, in verse 15, it says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Do you see, do you see what Jesus is praying here? Let me sum up just what I think is going on in that passage. As Christians, we've been cleansed of sin. We've been set apart as God's people. We are no longer of this world. Our citizenship is no longer in this world, but in heaven. And there's an amen to that, and a praise God for that. And yet, what does Christ call us to? Christ calls us back into the world to proclaim the only message that's going to cleanse others of their sin 
as well. Jesus took on flesh. He became sin for us. He gave us his righteousness. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see that in Scripture. Jesus reached out, and he touched us, and he cleansed us of sin. And so as we see Jesus bent over the man in Luke chapter 5, this leprous man, and with his hand resting on the decaying flesh so that he might be made clean, we see what Christ did for us. And then we look at John 17, and we look at so many other places in Scripture, and we see Jesus isn't done. Jesus calls us back into the world to proclaim that good news. And it's the only good news that can take leprous hearts and make them clean. And so we must consider our approach to those who have yet to trust in Christ. With all of their sin and all of the debauchery that's going on in so many of their lives, should that cause us to withdraw for fear of becoming contaminated? Or should that lead us to, a, to point them to the hope of the gospel so that they too might be made clean before a holy and righteous God? And as I was thinking about how to explain that and, 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 and communicate that, I, I felt the need to give an example of what this might look like because I don't want anybody in here to, to, to think or to walk out of here and say to themselves, well, Matt said I could go to the club be, with my coworker uh, so that I could share the gospel with them. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I, I'm making that very clear. That is not what I'm saying. But I want you to think about it this way. So I want you to, I just want to give you an example of what this has looked like uh, in my own life so that you might see kind of what I'm talking about here. So I used to have a coworker. I used to work as a, a truck driver driving around Wisconsin. And a number of years ago, you know, I was working at this uh, business and I had a coworker. He had done so many drugs in his life. He just, he wasn't all there. And we had a lot of conversation. He, he was kind of a, kind of a strange man. And most of the time, we each drove our trucks individually, and we did our own routes, and we, we were on our own. But every once in a while, a truck would break down, or somebody had a really big route, and so they would put us together. And so every once in a while, I got to go on a route with this man, and uh, that gave me opportunities to talk to him about Christ. And this guy, would, he would tell me all sorts of things that he's done in his life, or that he was doing in his life. And I think part of the reason was because he, he kind of it almost seemed like he wanted to shock me because he knew that I was a strong Christian. I didn't approve of those things. And, and so I almost felt like he was testing me to see if I would recoil from him or feel, see if I would be disgusted with him. And uh, although I would often try to steer the conversation away from uh, some of the things that he was telling me and back to Christ because I didn't really want to hear about some of the stuff that was going on in his life, I, I never stopped being friendly to him. If I had an opportunity to to, to do a route with this man. I, I didn't call my boss and say, hey, can you please put me with somebody else? This guy is a weirdo and he's disgusting. I, I never did that. I, I, I enjoyed sitting in that truck with him for hours on end because I knew he couldn't escape and I could share the gospel with him. And so I never recoiled. I continued to be friendly with this man. And eventually, I even, I even said, hey, you want to hang out after work sometime and, um, and just just hang out and talk. And uh, he didn't actually do this, but if he had said to me, yeah, I know this great club that we should go to on, you know, after work sometime, let's go hang out. 
I wouldn't have said, yeah, let's go to the club because I, wanna, I want to share the gospel with you. I would have said, no, I, I don't think that that's how God has called me to live. I want to be obedient to scripture. And so let's not go to the club, but I would love to grab coffee with you sometime or, or, or grab something to eat uh, after work sometime. And uh, luckily he didn't do that. He didn't invite me to, into uh, some of his debauchery. Instead, he, he allowed me to invite him into my home. We had pizza. We played board games. Uh, some of my roommates that I was living with at the time were there, and we just had a, a wonderful discussion about Christ. Uh, he told me how crazy I was for believing in Jesus, and then, and then the conversation began to shift, and he was talking about how he has special powers where people are drawn to him, and he doesn't know why, and so then I got the opportunity to tell him how crazy he was, and, and we laughed about it, and that was, and that was the, the nature of our relationship. For the entire time that I worked at that job, that was what it was like. Just this man talking about the, the sin in his life openly and almost like proud about it. And, and me seeking to, hey, I don't necessarily want to hear about that, but I want to tell you about Christ. And so if, you know, how, how, can we, how can I navigate that? And there's wisdom in it. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. It would have been so much easier for me to view this man as a vile, wicked creature because of his incredibly sinful lifestyle. It would have been so much easier for me to call up my boss and say, hey, you know what? When we work, you know, when we have to work together, can you just, can you just, let, like, I don't get along with this guy. I don't really want to be a part of his life in, in any way. Um, can you just make sure that we never work together? It would have been so much easier to withdraw from him because of the uncleanliness of his life. And in a very real sense, I want you to understand, he was unclean. He was sinful. He was wicked. The things that he was doing were against a holy and righteous God. And so I'm not saying that we are ever to call what is unclean clean or that we are to engage in the sin of the other person for the sake of reaching the lost. I am not saying that. What I'm saying is that we worship a Savior who makes the unclean clean. And so as we engage with those in this world who are living in sin and death and wickedness, we are not to recoil from them, but instead we are to seek as best we can to connect them with the one who can reach out and touch them and make them clean. The leper, he was unclean. And sinners, they are spiritually even more unclean than the leper's physical uncleanliness. And so let's not pretend that they aren't. But rather than recoiling from them, rather than withdrawing from them because of their sin, we are, we are called to call what is unclean, unclean. And then move towards them with the only hope that they could ever have which is Christ. And this is the whole point of the gospel. This is the reason why we emphasize so much at Woodridge that we want to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel. Because we believe that the same gospel that cleansed our own hearts is able to take the worst of the worst and make them clean. And so that's our encouragement this morning. Do not let the wickedness of man deter you from the mission that Christ has called us to. Don't call what is unclean clean. 
recognize that it's unclean, but then look to the Savior who makes the unclean clean. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that this is a fallen world in which we live. There is so much sin. Even creation itself groans, longing for the day when it will be released from the curse and the weight of sin. Even us as Christians, we groan and we wait. We desire for you to return so that sin and death are no more, that we don't have to wrestle with sin, that sin is finally and fully judged and that Satan is finally and fully defeated. We long for that day, and yet right now we live in a time where you have called us as people, as your people, to enter into this world with the reality and the hope of the gospel so that those who have yet to trust in Christ, who are dead, they are dead men walking, and to provide them with the hope that will make them alive, to provide them with the truth that will make what is unclean clean. And Father, that is not to say that we do not struggle with sin. It is not our holiness and our righteousness that that brings us into a relationship with you. It is the righteousness of Christ. And so teach us to rely on your grace and your mercy in our lives. Father, if there's anybody in here this morning who, who believes the lie that they are generally a good person. Father, reveal to them their wickedness. Reveal to them how sinful they are. Show them their sin and their need of Christ. Father, if there's people in here this morning who think that they are so wicked that they are beyond hope, show them the hope that is found in Christ. And Father, we know that even as Christians, we can struggle with those lies sometimes. Like we have to do something to, to uh, look good in your sight. Help us to, to see the error of our ways, even as believers, to repent of our lack of trust in your, uh, your full and complete work in our lives. Or, or, or some of us might struggle to feel like we are so wicked. How can God actually forgive us? Father, we pray that you would show that the that the holiness of Christ far outweighs the defilement of man and his holiness is able to make what is unclean clean. Father, we desire to grow in the knowledge of the gospel together and allow that to fuel our lives. And so we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.